Uh, I'm really grateful for the men and women that God has given this church that help out in lots of different ways and, uh, and, and serve and volunteer. This last week, there was, I don't know if you noticed, the little walkway between the fellowship hall and the church was like rotting out. And, and so Dale Patton and, and Steve uh, Kelch spent a good uh, amount of last week tearing that all apart. And that was, a, that was a big job. So thank you guys for that. And also, it's, uh, it's Steve's birthday today. When you have a birthday on a Sunday... There's a good chance I'm going to call you out. So happy, what is it, 30-somethingth birthday, Steve? Yay. Give him a big hug after church. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I asked you to do a little homework. Uh, I gave you an assignment to do uh, in the, one of the sermons, and that was to ha- find an opportunity at some point throughout the week to pray for somebody, to pray with Somebody, not just for them, but with them. To uh, when somebody in your life is sharing with you something that they're struggling with or something that they're going through, uh, I said, take take a moment to stop right then and there and say, "Hey, can I pray for you right now?" and and actually pray for them either over the phone or, or in person. Did anybody get a chance to pray for somebody over the course of the last couple of weeks? Anybody get an opportunity? Did anybody, when you asked them if you could pray for them, did they say, no, you can't pray for me. I don't want you to. Not, I don't think that's very common. I don't think that there are very many people who when, if you ask, hey, is it all right if I pray for you, are going to say no. Even people who aren't necessarily uh, Christians or churchgoer kind of people or praying folks, they're still going to understand that that offer to pray for them is a good thing, right? Most people are going to feel like it's a blessing, like it's like it's uh, an, an act of love and and care and concern, and they're going to be open and welcome to it. Uh, it's it's interesting. The last few years, it seems like it's a fairly recent thing. Whenever there's any kind of tragedy, any kind of big thing that happens anywhere in the world, uh, what What's the new, like, catchphrase? The new platitude that everybody sends out? Uh, I mean, thoughts and prayers. That's it. Sending thoughts and prayers. And it's become just so, like, ubiquitous that it's, it's maybe lost its meaning a little bit. But, but I think what it's intending to say is, we're thinking about you while you're struggling. Like, even though we might be a long, long way away, even though we can't physically put our arms around you and comfort you, we are thinking about you and we're caring about you and, and we're, we're empathizing with you during the struggle. We're, we're thinking. There's, our thoughts are there. And it's not just that, but we're praying for you. We're, we're bringing your problem, your need, your concern before the one who has total ability to offer help and comfort and peace during that time. There's just something about praying for others and knowing that others are praying for you that's comforting and encouraging here in acts chapter 12 we see an example of intercessory prayer and i think it serves as a model for us there's some things about it that are helpful for us so let's let's take a look at that together acts chapter 12 and i'm going to read verses 1 through 16 now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. 
weird. Uh, a politician doing something morally wrong and evil to pander to the masses. It's a good thing we don't have anything like that today. Uh, <clears throat> Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread when he had seized him. He put him in prison, uh, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. Herod was worried about something, right? Clearly. I mean, he, he had this guy totally guarded. Behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. I, I guess Peter was just laying there asleep on the floor. He must have like, trusted God. I, if this is how you want me to die, God, that's fine. That's great. If not, whatever. I'm going I'm to take a nap. I'm going to go to sleep. And the angel has to kick him in the ribs to wake him up. His chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. He said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but, but thought he was seeing a vision. He wasn't sure if he was awake or asleep, if it was real or just a vision. When they had passed through the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel departed from him. And Peter came to himself. He said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, the servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice. Because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran and announced that, that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. She kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, ah, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. When they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. So King Herod here discovers that uh, the Jewish people uh, like it when he mistreats Christians. He has James, the brother of John, put to death. One of, one of the sons of thunder put to death. And, and he wants the people to like him more, so he arrests Peter thinking this will really make them appreciate me. When the friends of Peter saw that he'd been arrested and would likely be killed, they huddle together and they pray like crazy. And we see in this passage that God answers their prayer. God sends this angel to come down and, and pluck Peter right out from that prison. 
And through that, we see a couple things. We see, first of all, intercessory prayer is primarily an act of trust in God. It isn't demanding things from God. It isn't like some magic spell that if we say it in the right way, we, we get three wishes. It isn't uh, some club that we use to force God to bend to our will, but rather it's submitting our will to God because we trust him. It's an act of obedience where we go to God with all our requests because that's what he's asked us to do. And then we trust him with whatever the outcome needs to be so that God gets all the glory. Here, here's, here's the question that I couldn't help but think of as I was reading through this passage. Why does James die when Peter gets set free? Why did God allow Herod to succeed in killing James when Peter gets a pass? I mean, did, did the friends of James just not pray as much? I don't think that's the case. I'm sure that they got together and prayed fervently. Uh, did they just not have enough faith like, like Peter's friends? I don't know about that. I mean, we kind of get an insight into the amount of faith that Peter's friends have, right? Because when he shows up at the door, they're like, you're crazy. He's not really here. I don't, it's like they weren't expecting the prayer to be answered even. And probably one of the biggest questions that we have about prayer is why does God answer some prayers and not others? There's a couple Bible verses that I think help us understand that a little bit. One of them is James 4.3. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer because our motives are wrong. Because what we're concerned about is our will, is our desires, is what we want. Because that's our starting point. And James is saying, you're not going to have because you're not praying God's will be done. You're praying your will be done. Jesus gives us the, the model for prayer, right? In, in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 and 10, it says, Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus says, here's how you pray. Start by, like God, you are holy. Your name is hallowed. You are awesome. God, I want your kingdom to come. Not my kingdom. Not my little world. Not my little empire. That's not what I want. I want your kingdom to reign. And I want your will to be done, God. Here on earth, here in my life, around me, just like in heaven, I want your will to be done. And then we have, we have Romans 8.28, that that's just that awesome like promise. Where Paul says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. How do we know that? How do we know that that's true? 
Well, because God said so, for, for one, and because we know God. We know what God is like. We know who God is. We know that God is sovereign and that God is in control and that God is all-wise and all-knowing and all-loving and, and mighty. And so we know that He is going to cause all things to work together for good, even though sometimes we don't understand the process. Back in seminary, <clears throat> I remember I needed a job uh, because you need money. Uh, and, and, and we moved to Portland, didn't have anything. I applied for a job as a, uh, hotel f- front clerk guy. And I thought, oh, that sounds like fun. And prayed fervently that God would give me that job. Uh, and he didn't. Uh, instead, he gave me this awesome job working as a maintenance guy on the campus of my school, and it came with a free house. Like, it was so much better. It was awesome. Uh, when I was graduating and leaving, I was applying to all kinds of different churches for pastor jobs all over the place, and I, I applied to one in Wyoming. Remember, I, I got an interview with this church in Wyoming, and I thought, oh, wow, that would be so much fun. Wyoming is amazing, and I could have, like, like a ranch and horses, and it'd be great. <laughs> uh, and it, and it, it, I prayed, like, God, oh, this seems like it. Let's help this one to come through. And, and it didn't. And I had to, had to like move back home and, and take my family and move back into my mom's house. And it was not what I was wanting. And I felt like, okay, God, are you, are you not answering prayer? But instead, God had something so much better than Wyoming. Like he, he had this position that, that shortly opened up. And I could see that God does have have good things in store. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes he, he wants us to wait. Sometimes we just have to be patient. But, but God is in control. God knows what he's doing. God knows the plan way better than I do. We are so limited, right? We are so short-sighted. We only see a, a little piece of it. And so when we, when we pray for God's will to be done, what we're saying is, God, I don't know everything and you do. And I, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're the one that knows all things. It's saying, God, I am not in control. I think I am. I want to act like I am. I'm not in control, but God, you are. I'm good with that. I'm glad that you're the one in control, not me, because the stuff that you have for me is always better. I mean, might not be able to see the big picture, but when we take those steps of faith and obedience and pray, we know that God somehow uses the faithful prayers of His people as a part of His awesome sovereign plan. So intercessory prayer is an act of trust where we want God's will to be done in our lives and in our friends and in our family and for others. And it's also an act of love. It's a trusting in God and it's, it's loving and caring for others, right? As soon as Peter is arrested, his friends band together and probably for a lengthy period of time, days, maybe weeks, they're getting together and they're praying. They're praying for him to be protected. They're praying for him to be released. They're praying for him to be saved because they love him and they care about him. Sometimes uh, prayer is a struggle. For us, right? My, you can, we can admit it. It's church. We can all be honest with each. I have a stack of books that I like read through about prayer, and all of them talk about how to overcome the obstacles that we face in prayer, and which makes me think that it must be pretty common for us to have obstacles if all the books talk about it. And I know from my own personal experience, sometimes it can be difficult 
to have and maintain a regular time uh, in prayer. But there's something that makes prayer super easy for us, right? There's one thing that makes it super easy for us to go to God to prayer, and that's when something really bad happens that's totally out of our control. Because when there's nothing left for us to do but pray, we pray. We, we go to Him. We, when, when somebody that we care about and that we love and that means the world to us is hurting and struggling and we feel lost and helpless, it is easy to pray. Right? We, we want to keep on bringing that person before God. and God, help them. God, grant them peace. God, grant them freedom and release and protection. Often when things are good and everything's going smooth, we get a little complacent. We forget to pray. But pr- praying for people as an act of, of love and compassion is something that's just totally biblical. It's something the Bible tells us to do. The Bible talks a lot about, about prayer. Uh, it, it gives us a lot of different examples of the kinds of people that we're supposed to pray for. Uh, Ephesians 6, we're instructed to pray for the saints, pray for other believers, pray for fellow Christians. Paul also tells us to pray for those who are, who are ministers and those who are sharing the gospel. He asks for prayers that doors would be open so that, that he could share like he needs to. James 5 instructs us to pray for those who are sick. Uh, we're, we're told by Paul to pray for those who are in authority, which means like politicians. Like even politicians we don't necessarily agree with, we're supposed to pray for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Paul just says, pray, just pray for everyone, just in case I missed anybody, just in case you're thinking like, well, that's, there's some people I'm not supposed to pray for, right? Paul, no, you pray for everybody. It's hard though, right? It's hard to pray for some of the people on that list. Politicians, maybe imprecatory prayers, right? God smite them mightily. Uh, <laughs> but like to pray for their well-being, uh, it seems like a lost cause. Enemies, those who persecute us, why? Why would, why would we pray for them? Why would we take the time to do that? Sure, I understand praying for my friends and my family and those who are struggling and those who I care about. That's easy, but why... Why does the Bible tell me to pray for people I don't like? Uh, Because the Bible also tells us that we're supposed to love those people in, in, in an active way, like in a real way, in a way where we're showing in some way that we care about those people. One of the ways that we show a real genuine love for people that we don't like is by praying for them. Jesus says, don't, don't just love those who love you. Like, even the tax collectors do that. Like, even, even sinners love people who love them. That's not a big deal. Uh, don't just greet your brothers. Everybody does that. That's nothing special. But you're special. You're different. You're Christians. You're children of God. You have a different heart and a different way of looking at people. You need to show love and respect to everyone. It's it's hard to pray for people we don't like, but I think the more that we do that, the more that we practice that, 
The more that we bring difficult people before God and, and asks, ask God to, to love them and to care for them and to help them, the more we begin to develop a heart of compassion the more we're able to just rest in God's peace and not be so knotted up. The more we're able to let go of of bitterness and frustration and anger and all those other negative feelings that can sometimes take control. And just, just trust God. Pray for everyone that you love. And love everyone. Uh, and, and I think the, the more we learn to love everyone, uh, the easier it'll be to pray. So uh, intercessory prayer is it's trusting in God. It's an act of love to, to everyone. And, and it's also an act of hope. There's so much hope that's bound up in this. It's not, it's not the wishful thinking kind of hope, you know, that we sometimes uh, think about. It's, this is the, the, uh, like eager anticipation kind of hope. It's, it's a hope and an excitement and a joy in what God's going to do because you do trust Him and you do believe Romans 8, 28, that He's working all things together for good. And so there's, there's this confidence that we can have in God knowing that that hope is going to turn to joy. And a lot of times that, that, that hope turns to joy soon, like within days, weeks, months. Sometimes it takes years, but it's this lifetime. Sometimes that, that joy might not be realized until we get to heaven, but we know that God is actively at work. Peter here is, he's escorted past the guards out of the prison past all these locked doors, past the iron gates, finally comes to his senses out on the street. Heads for the house of Mary, mother of John Mark, and knocks on the door. He's just escaped from prison, so he's got to be at least a little bit nervous here. And, and Rhoda answers the door, recognizes Peter's voice, and is so excited, so overjoyed, that she forgets to open it and just goes and runs to tell everybody, Peter's here. Such an amazing thing, such an awesome thing that they don't even believe her. But she insists and he keeps knocking and they finally open the door and are amazed. That's because when we, when we see the prayers that we've offered up to God answered, especially in ways that are immediate and stunning, that is an exciting thing, right? I think probably a lot of you in here can relate with that. You've seen firsthand in your own lives prayers answered. You've seen requests that you've made fervently to God and you've seen how He's met that need. Seeing God answer prayer is such a joyful and hopeful and exciting thing. And, and, I, and I think it's like a, I think it's like a snowball. I think it builds. I think when we have the confidence to pray to God and ask Him to help with, with like s- small things, 
and then see how he answers and responds, then that gives us confidence to ask God for bigger things and to meet larger needs. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger until we're asking God for things that are great, big, huge, giant things with total faith because we've seen how faithful he is. Do, do you guys keep track of your prayers at all? I, I feel like this is an area where I haven't always been that good. Some people like keep an actual written journal with the dates it was prayed for and, and uh, dates it was answered, those kind of things. I, I think that's a, that's a helpful thing because I think sometimes we'll pray for something and God will answer that prayer, but that was like three days ago or a week ago. We've forgotten about it. We don't even realize that there was an answer to that prayer and we're just rolling along. I, I think we need to pay attention enough to recognize when God has answered a prayer so that we could give Him the thanks and the praise that He deserves. And I think that's the case even with, with small things. And I, and I try that, man. There's, there's times where I'm praying, all right, God, I really need to finish this sermon. Help me. And then I realized the next day, hey, he answered that prayer. It got done. Thank you, God. Or, God, I have this meeting coming up, and I'm worried, and I'm nervous. Hope it go well. And it goes well. And, well that, that was an answer to prayer. Thank you, God. I mean, even in little things, I think we can trust God and then thank him when he answers. There's a number of different blessings that come uh, from a prayer. A lot of things the Bible talks about as benefits for our lives when we pray. Uh, Philippians 4 is probably one of the best ones. It promises that through prayer, we will gain a peace that surpasses understanding. And I think part of the reason for that is because we're trusting God more and we're loving others more, and that peace is just going to be a natural outcome of that. Again, James 5, it promises healing when we pray. James 1 promises wisdom if we ask. First John tells us that when we pray, we have the confidence of knowing that He hears us. Oh man, that might be one of the best. Think about that. There's someone who hears us when we pray. We, we have the ear of God Almighty. We have the privilege of being able to go right directly to the throne of grace with, with confidence. We don't have to go through any earthly mediator to get to God. You don't have to go through a priest or a pastor or pray to some saint. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus is our mediator. That He's always ready to intercede on our behalf. And that even when we don't know how to pray or, or what to pray for, the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groans that are deeper than words. Uh, Dave Mathis, a pastor, wrote this book about spiritual disciplines and has a section about prayer. He says, prayer is not finally about getting things from God, but getting God. I think that's why prayer is so full of hope and joy and wonder. 
Because it's where we get to see God move and we feel God stir in us and we get covered in God's peace and we're reminded that that this world is His and so are we. Pray. Pray fervently, faithfully for each other. God, I thank You again for this reminder. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for all of the promises that You have in it about the power of prayer. Thank You for this example here in the book of Acts about how we could see how You answered those prayers. We know, God, that You'll answer ours too. And Lord, our desire is that Your will would be done. There's things that we want and we we thank You, God, that You're you're okay with us asking for what we desire, for what we want, but ultimately what we want is Your will. More than anything else, we know that You know more than we do. You know better than we do. And so our desire, God, is for You to be in control and for You to lead and for You to guide. For us to have more of You. Thank You, God, for this privilege that it is to be able to go right, right to You with all of our cares and our needs and our concerns and know that You are a God who is so big and so mighty that You hear us. Thank You for that. In Jesus' name, Amen.